We're going to be in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. You'll notice those are the same places that uh, David was in this morning. Um, again, speaking from a place of complete and utter and unashamed bias, I think he did a great job this morning. His first sermon, Travis did as well, and so did the other kids. From what David says, this will not be his last. God's doing something remarkable in his life. And we talked about a variety of topics addressing his first time ever in the pulpit. And through God's grace, he was led just to talk straight gospel, just to focus on what God accomplished in us and for us. Um, So we're going to treat that same text in just a little bit because I just, I can't get away from it here lately. I just can't get away from that core truth that we were dead, but we've been made alive. And we're going to talk about that and unpack it a little bit more. I will be coughing all the way through. I assure you of that. Um, you guys, some of you guys know we've been kind of fighting the cold stuff. If, if I start rambling incoherently or start falling over, just have Matt come up and give me some of the really fun stuff and lay me down and um, somebody else can take my notes and take over. You know, I went through a, de- a couple of different things. Do I want to do the same thing that he, you know, the same text he did this morning and I do want to do something different? And I just I really haven't been able to get away from this idea. God is doing some incredible things in my life and in my heart, and I'm watching Him work in my son's life, and I find myself, it's the only way I can think to to say it, I find myself pressed in on hard by God's grace lately. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I, I just, I find myself pressed in, gripped hard, overwhelmed by, undone by God's amazing grace. He's, he's working in my family. He's working in my son. He's working in some of my brothers in Christ that I see. And through all of these, God is working in me. And I, I, do, not, I do not deserve it. I deserve to be left for dead, as the opening words of chapter 2 in Ephesians say. And often these days, more often than has been usual for some years, I find myself praying about it and thinking, and I find myself almost at, at tears, unable to speak another word of prayer or praise, unable to express verbally, what I feel about this great, life-changing truth. There's always talk, you know, about what's right with the church and what's wrong with the church. And I, I think sometimes that a root problem with many of our churches and maybe many of our lives is that we have lost, we've separated ourselves, we've, we've lost sight of the wonder, the press the grip of grace. Does that, does that make sense at all? Uh, tonight I realize that I'm speaking probably to mostly believers in, in this room. Likely all of you here would claim Christ. You're obviously faithful in some ways or you wouldn't be here on Sunday night on Super Bowl Sunday. 
my hope here, though, as we go a little deeper, as we unpack a little more in this passage in Ephesians, that uh, as, as David said this morning, and as I continue to hope, and it's been doing in my life, that you are, you are awed again, overwhelmed, moved to praise. Maybe you might even find yourself unable to speak for this pressing, glorious weight of what He has done for you. So let's pray, and then we'll get to work and read our passage. Father God, uh, Lord, I ask You again for some physical strength right now. I ask You, Lord, to help me think and speak clearly in the next few minutes. Lord, I, I thank You for what You are doing through these two passages we're going to look at in my heart and in my life and how it has driven me into you deeper, into your heart, into, into you in prayer. Um, so Lord, I ask you to help me speak clearly tonight and, and, and cautiously approach this text. Um, that you would get glory and that your grace would become even more amazing to us again. We ask it, Lord, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first ten verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this first passage, as as David puts so well and so simply this morning, it basically breaks down into two sections. He said, "You you were dead, but God. We're going to look at it as you were dead and you've been made alive. He told us this morning, and we see this is talking to believers. We're going to unpack that in just a second. We could also say that it's our former condition, the world's condition, and God's salvation. There's a definite before and after. And we need to establish those first four words, and you were dead. We need to unpack those for a couple of reasons. One is to avoid the error that God did not accomplish the entirety of our salvation. Because we could easily slip into the error. Those of us that have been in church our whole life, my son's been in church his whole life, I've been in church just about my whole life. Those of us that have been in church our whole life and been believers for a long time, we are particularly vulnerable to religion. Not relationship, but religion. We are particularly susceptible to Phariseeism. Okay, we are. Um, So we need to avoid the error that we had anything to offer. Um, and actually that's number two, to avoid the error that God did not accomplish all of our salvation and to correct that idea that we help 
God or that we earn anything with God in any way. So we're going to take the phrase, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, we're going to break that up just a little bit because it's important that we get this. So let's break it down and then we'll come back to why. The word you obviously refers to believers here. That's a plural pronoun. More specifically, Ephesians and Colossians, that word is always addressed to those groups which were Gentile believers. So by direct application to us, we are Gentile believers, right? So we know we're included in that group. Uh, Paul makes a, a second statement in a minute to include everybody else. We'll get to that in just a second. But there's no doubt here that God through Paul is speaking to us. Okay? You, you with me? It's important that we get this. You'll see why, hopefully, in just a minute. Hopefully I can make that clear. You were dead. This is spiritual death. The Greek word here is nekros, from which we get necrophobia, the fear of death, necromania, the obsession with death. Um, it means dead. As Jerry Clower would say, stone cold graveyard, dead. It is, one commentator used the phrase, a living corpse. Okay? It is lifeless, hopeless, helpless. David said it very well this morning. A dead man cannot save himself. A dead man cannot do anything for himself. And that is where we were. Okay? Us, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. The word trespasses here literally means falling to one side. It had to do with the Hebrew concept of deviating from God's way, God's path. God had one path of moral law and we would... Uh, to, to trespass would be to fall to the side of that. We fell out of line with God, okay? The other word that he uses there is sin. This is the idea that we hear often of missing the mark, um, of falling short of God's design and standard for man. Now, we often have the idea of the archer who, who draws back and misses the bullseye. I don't like to think of it that way. I think that the bullseye is so far out there, no matter how good an archer we are, we have no hope of hitting the mark. You see the difference? One leaves the possibility that I might hit it on my own. There's no hope of us hitting the mark. The point here is that we were dead in every way possible. There is no way we could have helped God. There's no way because we were good little boys and girls that we made it easier for God to save us or had anything to do with our rescue from that death. Are you with me so far? Now from that one verse, we see what is the world's condition, we see our former condition, we see, once again, that it is just beyond desperate. It is hopeless. Lest we miss the point that Paul is talking again to us, he strengthens that case in verse 2 and 3, in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Again, you is still pointing to believers specifically Gentile believers, via the addresses of the letter, the Ephesians and the Galatians in both of these cases. The we, in verse 3, Paul is including himself and probably his ministry team, which was probably made up of Jewish believers and all of his Jewish countrymen. In other words, everybody starts from the same place. Death. Are you with me? Okay. We, 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 have, to, we have to solidify this idea that we were completely, hopelessly, Dead. The word I, I find interesting here that caught my attention this time around to this passage is the word following. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. You see, we might make the mistake of thinking that lost people can't help the way they act. That when we were dead, maybe somehow before we heard about Jesus, we weren't accountable for our sin. 
Not really. We, lost people just act like lost people, right? We couldn't help it. You don't follow something or someone by accident. You don't just fall into line. It is an act of will. Do you see the difference? You do it. You follow the world. You follow your nature. You follow Satan by choice. We were following the world when we were dead, and we were doing it willingly. And there's the rub for those of us that have been believers a long time. Because those of us that have been believers a long time, those of us that have been in church our whole life, we don't like to think about the idea that we ever loved sinning. And we did. How dare we be so self-righteous, so pharisaical to say, I never loved sinning. Of course you did. You were a sinner. That's what sinners do. They sin. Right? If we're honest to ourselves, we know that it's true. Particularly if you came to Christ later in life, say late teens or later, you know that it's true because you had plenty of time to sin. We loved sinning and we know we did. We loved lying. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be mean and selfish. We loved cheating. We loved being immoral. We loved being self-righteous. We loved being judgmental. Some of us are being it right now by folding our arms and saying, I never loved sin. Of course you did. You were a sinner. It's important that we get this. It's important that when we sing the line from the song that's becoming one of our regulars, and as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost. That's true of every one of us as we sing it. You looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. You don't follow something by accident. It is an act of will. Your will, my will. We send willingly. We send gladly. We send effectively and we send completely. You don't think so still? You really don't think so? You need to go back and read Jeremiah 17, 9 because your heart is a liar. Your heart is deceitful and desperately sick and wicked. Who can know it? Certainly not you. Romans, 10, Romans 3, 10 and 11 quotes, uh, quotes an Old Testament passage where it says none is righteous. And it's speaking to believers. None of you is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. You cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your own righteousness because you have none. We must come to grips again with the fact of what we were saved from. We were dead, happy, willing, fully engaged, dead sinners. And we were happy about it. My son and I <coughs> were watching The Passion of the Christ not long ago. His first time to watch it. He's 13. And he really wanted to watch it. Um... And during the flogging sequence, if, if you know, if you've seen the film, you know how gruesome uh, that scene is. It's very difficult to watch for a variety of reasons. And I could see my son getting all worked up. And finally he broke. Man, if I were there, if I were there, I'd step in and make him stop. I'd, I'd punch that guy with the whip right in the face. I paused the movie and I looked him in the eye and I told him a truth that I want you to hear because I want to tell it to you as well. Because I said it to myself, and I said it to him, and I'm saying it to you. Don't you dare buy into that lie. Don't you dare, and I'm speaking to myself, be so pharisaical, so self-righteous, as to think you'd be any better than, any, any better than anybody else there. You know, 
Actually, it could be said that had you and I been there, we would not have acted as evilly, as wickedly, as cruelly, as violently as those people in the crowd, as evilly as the plotting Jewish leaders, as violently as the Roman soldiers. No, we wouldn't have done as wickedly of them. We would have done much worse. Much worse. And if we think any better of ourselves, that's the first place we need to repent. We would have been much worse. Why? Because we were dead. We were sinners. We followed the world and the prince of the world, and we did so willingly. It's important that we get that. Because if we don't get this, we can start to think that we had something to do with our salvation. And we didn't. We can start to think that, you know, I wasn't as bad as that guy, so Jesus really didn't have to work as hard to save me as he did that guy. We can start thinking that baloney. We can start thinking that somehow we didn't have as far to go from where we were to the cross, and we've been pretty good since then, so we must have more points than our neighbor. We didn't, we wouldn't, we don't. We were dead. I was, you were, and frankly... Some of us in the church, maybe some in this room, still are. Thankfully, God didn't leave us there. And He doesn't leave you there tonight. This is the two words that David built up to so well this morning. When he went... (laughs) The two most powerful words in the believer's vocabulary. The two words, as he said this morning, that changed history. The two words that when I say them should make you as a believer tremble on the inside, speak praise on the outside, and remind you of God's glorious grace and mercy. You were dead, but God. Oh, come on! You were dead, but God. I was was dead, but God. I was lifeless. But God, I was hopeless. But God, I was helpless. But God, I was doomed to sin and death and hell. But God, being rich in mercy and because of His great love with which He loved me, made me alive in Christ. He made a way for you to be alive too. And as incredible as that sounds, it doesn't end there. Look at verses 6 through 10 here real quick. I'm going to read them very quickly. And he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places with him, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made us alive, plus an eternity in heaven. He raised us up. He raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. Ongoing riches of his grace. Ongoing. uh, So that in the coming ages, he might show you immeasurable riches of his grace. Now, as a believer, you have an earthly purpose. You were created. You were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It doesn't even end with being made alive, even though that would have been enough. That's everything. But it keeps coming. And again, just so that we are reminded that we didn't earn any of this, look at verse 8 again. Look at verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
Not as a result of your church attendance. Not as a result of your tithing. Not as a result of the fact that you were a good kid. Not as a result of the fact that you've been a pretty good Christian. Not as a, refa- uh, not as a result of anything you have done so that no one, including you, including me, may boast. It's not you. It's Jesus. I think I wrote this. I think it's in the family worship I wrote this. And this is another thing I just can't keep getting away from. Your obedience to God doesn't earn you any more love from God. You know how I know that? Because he already loved you perfectly and completely in the cross. It's done. Second Peter chapter 1. He's already given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. It's never about how much more of God you can get. It's about how much more of you God can get. So your obedience doesn't earn you more of his love, but because he has loved you perfectly and completely already, we move forward from our second birth in grace and in mercy and in obedience. And we do those things that we do not to get more from him, but because of what he has done. The point here, that's actually a different, whole different message. The point here is he did it all. <clears throat> He did it all. You did nothing. He owes you nothing. You owe him everything. So over to Colossians 2. I'm going to get another drink here. Colossians chapter 2. I love how David expressed this this morning. He was kind of reasoning his way through to a very uncomfortable statement. God is holy. God cannot tolerate. Because he's holy, God can't tolerate unholiness, or as David said this morning, impurity. Sin is impurity, is unholiness, therefore God cannot tolerate sin. Romans 3.23, we are all sinners, therefore God cannot tolerate us. Not a good position, right? Add on top of that the fact that sin has a result, death. Sin has a penalty that must be paid, debt. These things are not negotiable. They are set in God's law with their demands, the legal demands of those things. Those, all three of those are here in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Look what he does there. He takes our sinful position. He takes the demands that it places us under. He takes the debt that we now owe. He takes the resulting death that it brings. He takes all of that stuff off of us and he puts it aside and he takes it on himself when he was nailed to the cross. He did it all. He finished it. It is done. On this The whole of our faith rests. This is what the theologians call the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He was your substitute. You should be eternally dead because you have a penalty for your sin and Christ, by his own blood, paid for it himself. He is your substitute on the cross. This is the core doctrine of the Christian faith. If you get this one wrong, you get nothing else right. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. If you get this one wrong, you get nothing else right. 
We were dead, lifeless, helpless, willing, fully engaged sinners with a penalty upon us. And we were all under the same sentence. But Christ took all of that off of us, took it on himself. He didn't just put it aside. He took it on himself and nailed it to the cross when he was nailed to the cross. He is your substitute, atoning for your sins. And this is where I really wrestled with how to say some of these things, and I can't figure out another way to say them. We must place all of our faith in Christ alone, as the song says, in Christ alone, and His finished work on the cross, and His victory in the empty tomb, evidencing it in our lives by the grace of God. There can be no faith in anything you say or do or think. It must all be in Christ. Do you get that? Do you see why that's important? I would argue that some in our churches have been riding that fence. And you cannot have it both ways. This, This... along with the other thing I said, is probably one of the big issues, big problems with uh, what are some of the things that are wrong with our churches. You can claim Christ, but if you haven't wholly, completely trusted in Christ and His sacrifice and His victory and His imputed righteousness, if you thought you had anything to do with it, if you think you helped Him at all, If you think you made it easier for him to save you because you were a good person, you were a good little boy or a good little girl, you need to repent. You need to trust him completely. You need to accept him as Savior. I don't care how long you've been in church. If you've ever trusted in anything, even in part, other than Christ and the cross alone, you need to meet Christ as your Savior. It's all or nothing, baby. In Christ alone, if you haven't trusted Him fully, you have not trusted Him at all. For goodness sake, quit quit playing the game you're playing of religion. Take off your mask and meet Jesus. Your eternity is at stake. The good news is, and Dwayne would tell you, you've heard his testimony. Dwayne would tell you, it don't matter how long you've had the mask on. It don't matter how long you've played at church. The work to really seal the deal for you is already done. It was done at the cross. But you have to place your faith in him. Now, for the believer in Christ who has totally, fully, completely trusted in Christ and you are truly a member of the kingdom, I think, as this, this is what it's done for me, I think this should have two results. Even if, even if you're just moved just a little bit to a, to, a, to a deeper understanding of what this means for you, what this means for what Christ has done for you, if he's opened your eyes even just a little bit more to where you were and where he's brought you, two things. <clears throat> One is you should be amazed... All over again. All over again. Again, my son said it well this morning. He said at the end, I was listening to it just a minute ago as I'm putting it, getting ready to put it up online. He said, my hope is that you just fall in love with Christ all over again. You did nothing. 
He did everything. If you've ever thought you had anything to do with your salvation, your position, your righteousness, you need to repent. It wasn't you. You didn't even help. (laughs) In fact, it could be said that we were dragged kicking and screaming all the way up to the moment when we finally responded to His call in our life to salvation. It was all Jesus. Believer, be amazed again. Be undone. Let your dignity go and be crushed by the grace of God again. I say say that phrase and I, I keep coming back to it. Be pressed by the weight of what God has done for you. The second thing is this. You should be, and I can't even come up with a, with a word. You should be immediately disturbed. That doesn't capture it. You should be wrecked. You should be broken. You should be stirred uncomfortably by the reality that there are people still dead. There are people that you know who are where you once were. The same thing Christ did for you, He has done for them. And they need to know. And you might be the only person they will listen to. You don't need to come see your pastor and say, would you go see this person? You need to go tell them as one dying man to another dying man. You might be the only one they'll listen to. They need to know from you how to come from, to life from death to light from dark to freedom from bondage. It's only through Christ and you might be the only one they'll hear. And they are not all in Africa, though we should go to Africa. They are not all in Chicago, though sometimes we think that everybody, if they're all in Chicago, though we should go there. Some of them are in your town, in our town. Some of them are in your workplace. Some of them are in your school. Some of them are in your family. Some of them are in your church. Be amazed and be broken. He has made you alive, believer. But there are others still dead. So, so what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond? I brought this, the video that he showed this morning. I want to show it again. I have the time to do it. Because I, I can't watch this thing without just being undone. John, can we play that video? It's the last one in the schedule. Maybe you weren't here this morning. I want you to see this, and this will help you hopefully gain just a little bit deeper grasp. And then I'll come back up.
I know that there are people watching this video and in this room who are not trusting Jesus Christ and therefore can only expect condemnation. And so I'm just going to plead with you. Lay down that rebellion. Lay it down. And simply embrace the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the righteous one, died for your sins. He was raised on the third day, triumphant over all his enemies. He reigns until he puts all of his enemies under his feet. Forgiveness of sins and a right standing with God comes freely through him alone, by faith alone. you are a believer, perhaps you need to be undone again. Perhaps you just need to be amazed again at what He has done for you. You need to be broken, disturbed, 
moved to action by the fact that there are others, neighbors, friends, family, that are still dead. Rejoice. Give praise. Be broken. And get busy. Perhaps you are coming to terms with the fact that you have been trusting even in part in your own righteousness of which there is none. So you have never really fully trusted Christ. You've never placed all your hope and faith and trust in Him because you thought you really helped a little. You need to meet Jesus. You cannot have it both ways. You've either fully trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, you've either trusted Him completely, or you haven't trusted Him at all. You need to trust Him. You need to meet Him for real. Well, I've been in church a long time, and what about people will think, who gives a flying flip what anybody else thinks but God? Take your mask off and meet Christ. Perhaps you're here. It is possible even on a Sunday night on Super Bowl Sunday with the crowd that's here that you've just never trusted Him. You've been thinking about it. You think you've got to take care of some things first. You've been putting it off. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about Him ever. Don't wait. Don't wait. You are dead. You are lifeless. You are hopeless. And if you're sitting here and you know that's you, and suddenly you're not happy about it anymore, you know what that is? That is God through the Holy Spirit calling you. He is telling you that's not what you were made for. I have life for you. Don't wait. I'm going to pray in a second. Brad's going to come up. He's going to sing a song probably everybody here knows. I want him to sing it. And I just I want our eyes closed so that doesn't become a, another mask for someone that needs to do something. That... And we're going to do it the way we've always done it. I'm going to be right down here. Maybe you don't want to come during the music. Come see me when we're done. I'll sit right down here on this pew and I'll take you right through straight through to the cross. It won't be me, by the way. It'll be Jesus. Because remember, you didn't do it. I didn't do it. He's done it all. I'll just show you the way. Father, I cannot escape this truth. I cannot move away from the fact that everything I have and am comes from You. I I cannot get away from that idea, Lord, that I feel Your grace pressing in on me, God. And it's a good, good thing. And I'm amazed that You saved me. And if you saved me, 
you can save anybody here. So God, I ask you, not because of me, not because of any words, eloquent or not, that I have said, God, by your grace, by your mercy, through your spirit and through your word, call people now to know you. Call us to repentance. Call us, Lord, to take off the masks of religion and fear and shame. That is where our enemy wants us to stay. Let us come to where only you can set us free. Do it because only you can. And for your glory, Lord, as was the cross, as was everything you do, for your glory and for your glory alone. We ask it, Lord, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.